Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Narrative Dissonance here on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Today is, uh, what is it? May 23rd, Monday, May 23rd. Um, if you're not watching us on unsafespace.com on the live stream, you should, because uh, we don't cancel ourselves there, but you could be watching a YouTube Odyssey Rumble. If you are, don't forget to do all the things that make you a good person, like share, subscribe, all that stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore unsafe space until Elon gives us our old account back, and then you can drop the underscore. But for now, that's what we are. Um, this is a show we do every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific. It's a new time. We've only been doing it at the new time for a couple of weeks. So uh, if you're listening uh, to a, you know, repeat a recording, if you want to check us out live, we're now 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific. And this show is about questioning the mainstream narrative uh, and imagining a world in which journalism was journalism instead of uh, propaganda for the state. So if you want to support us in that or any other show that we do here, you can go to unsafebase.com. One housekeeping message. Our next book club is House of Leaves by Mark Danielowski. It's hosted by Alex Maselli, who's the host of our 451 Degrees show. That'll be on June 12th. So if you want to do that, read up. Uh, apparently, it's one of these fiction books that's actually work. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, but you're supposed to figure stuff out and take notes or something. Yeah, fun, fun. Okay, so this week's edition of Narrative Dissonance is, we can call it the Libertarian Podcast Edition, um, because we have two awesome Libertarian podcasters with us. First, let's welcome Clint Russell. Clint was a private mortgage broker who managed hundreds of millions in investor funds and then retired in his 30s, you know, as you do, uh, to rail against the lockdowns. He started Liberty Lockdown in May 2020 and has since been on TimCast IRL with Tim Pool, Tinfoil Hat with Sam Tripoli. And part of the problem with Dave Smith, you can follow him on Twitter at Liberty Lock Pod. Or you can go to his link tree, which is Liberty Lockdown. We'll put uh, links to all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Clint, welcome. Thank you for having me, Carter. It's a pleasure. Yep. There we go. There we go. <laughs> thanks for thanks for being here. Uh, we're also joined by David Brady. David is an aspiring journalist and an Austro-libertarian. Uh, I think that means he likes Austrian economics. He has had pieces published at the Foundation for Economic Education, Being Libertarian, and the Libertarian Institute. He's currently the social media manager for the Libertarian Party of Minnesota and an at-large representative for the party. He hosts the Road to Providence podcast that can be found on YouTube and Odyssey. You can follow him on Twitter at RealDavidBJr, or JR. Uh, and you can find his podcast and writings through his link tree, which is RealDavidBJr, uh, which we'll put that link in. David, welcome. Hey, man. Great to be here. I'm just thrilled thanks to for, get to do a podcast with my my son for the first time ever. <laughs> to, to have us both uh, guesting on a show at the same time, it's kind of like uh, when what was uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and Senior were both playing at the same time. This yeah, is really, this hey. is incredible. Yeah, well, he still has his hair. What are you? Just the baby daddy, though. What's the last name difference? Uh, no, this? he's using a stage name because he's embarrassed of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, da it's David Russell, actually. So. Yeah. True. <laughs> you I didn't want to tell breaking anyone, news. But I guess but I guess we're breaking the news right here, man. I guess that's the truth. Hey, if, if anyone's gonna dox you, it should be your dead. Yeah. <laughs> he's too young to know, but that's like a Maury Povich moment. Uh, <laughs> yes, we just indeed. we just had that there. It's I feel, right. like, I feel like such a zoomer now. God. I know. How does that feel? Is your generation going to fix all this shit? Please. If I if fuck I, it up. If I get my way, 
Yes. Yes, we'll fix it. Excellent. Otherwise, I don't know. From what I'm seeing, like right now for the current trajectory, it's not looking so hot. Excellent. Well, uh, we will let seniority and lack of hair follicles that are active go first. Um, Clint, what's the most important story about which mainstream media has been misleading us in this past week? What do you think? Well, uh, to me, it's clearly the 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 economic problems that we're having and the the blame that they're placing elsewhere. Um, you know, you had over seven trillion dollars uh, based off of what I've read. It's over ten trillion uh, during the lockdown that was either printed or borrowed, and and now we are suffering the consequences of that economically. And instead of owning up to that, the government, true believers in MMT, some of them. And others that are just, you know, to the core liars and propagandists, uh, they don't want to discuss that because then they would have to acknowledge that, yes, we locked down needlessly. And yes, you suffered economically needlessly and psychologically needlessly. And and, right. and we still had a bunch of people die. Uh, so there was no reason for it. And and they're trying to pivot to lay that at the uh, the doorstep of Vladimir Putin uh, which, if anyone was paying any attention whatsoever, the cost of goods were skyrocketing far prior to him ever invading Ukraine. Um, so I think that that's probably been the biggest mislead over the past week and over the past probably three months. Yeah. I mean, gas prices predated the... I mean, I remember gas price arguments in September or October, people were complaining. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, it was, uh, it was a long time ago. So, um, <laughs> well, I mean... Bezos is doing fine after the lockdowns, though, so I don't know what the yeah. big issue is. Well, yeah, I mean, if, really. if that's your only concern and you don't care about feeding your kids, then it's no big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's why I was such a uh, just a psychopath about fighting against the lockdowns is because that's what it amounted to is that the the riches got richer and the uh, the poor got poor, and even in the in the interim, because of the bailouts, the you know stimulus checks and the added uh, unemployment insurance and things of that nature, it allowed people to feel as if they were doing okay. Uh, but yep. I knew that what it amounted to was probably the greatest transfer of wealth in our lifetime from the many to the few. And as someone who is a true believer in capitalism, I identified immediately that's not capitalism. This is crony capitalism. And it's very important that the libertarians delineate between the two because otherwise you will have a populist uprising that demands that we alleviate the income inequality at the cost of capitalism. When in fact yeah. we are already flying toward Marxism or fascism or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I'm not David, this is not me picking on you. Or were you around when, uh, <laughs> when Occupy Wall Street was a thing or were you I mean yeah. I was alive was I, was, I was I was I was alive <laughs> I wasn't paying attention necessarily I mean I've watched that Peter Schiff video you know where he walks around with the sign saying I am the one percent let's talk where he walks around Occupy Wall Street trying to tell him about how the Fed is really the cause of all their problems and it's not well and and the government the Fed and the government caused all the problems rather than you know actually the one percent most of the time yeah the reason I'm asking is because it's, uh, and I've said this before on the show, uh, but there's the there's something I think that resonated that was accurate about the the emotional response of Occupy Wall Street. They they felt like something was wrong, and they were right, but um, they they blamed capitalism, which is a common trope. I mean, it was done in 
1929 crash and subsequent depression was blamed on capitalism. Uh, the 2008 stuff was blamed on capitalism. None of it was actual capitalism. Um, but I mean, where we are now, I, what if we, you think we've printed 10 trillion? What are we in 30 trillion in debt or something now? Where's our, what's our debt number? I don't even know. Yeah, it's somewhere around 30. Now. Yeah, it's somewhere around 30 trillion floating around there. That's what I figured. So, and I've seen all these articles about, uh, I've seen two different tacks. One is it's uh, Marussia. That's the, that's what you were talking about, Clint. The other one is inflation is fine. That's a good thing. Let's have a conversation about why it's great that you're paying $7 a gallon for gas in California. Uh, because they want you to eat bugs. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that is actually as, as humorous as it sounds, that's kind of true. They, the, the, the Great Reset, the Green New Deal, uh, this is a very man-made crisis that is intentional and is attempting to get us off of fossil fuel use by, again, some people that are true believers and some people that are rotten to the core and just lying through their teeth. Uh, but, you know, when Biden came in, he canceled a bunch of, uh, of lease contracts for drilling on federal lands. Uh, in fact, all of them, uh, mm -hmm. all, all new lease contracts on federal lands. And then he goes, my hands are clean. Sure, you're paying double what uh, you know you were when I came into office, but uh, it has nothing to do with me. This is all Vladimir Putin. It's just it's just a lie, but it's intentional. That that's the thing that that ought to upset the American people most is that they knew that getting off of fossil fuels and aggressively transitioning to quote unquote renewable energy, which isn't truly renewable, uh, oftentimes. Right. Was gonna we were gonna pay a huge economic price and in a democracy you know if you believe in that thing which I don't uh, you should be putting it to the people to decide if that's actually what they want and if you want them to decide you ought to be giving them the actual information as to what that amounts to when it comes to suffering uh, but instead they just paint it as this is the good this is the good and anything else is the bad and you must go along with the good. Aren't you good? Or are you a racist? And that's the, uh, the argumentation. Yeah. I mean, you're making me think of uh, another kind of news story, but I'll throw it out there anyway, which is this is uh, this week is Davos and uh, they're meeting in person, which is a big deal. I guess lizards can mate better if they're in person. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're they're You know, if you look at, if you look at Klaus Schwab and you look at the the history of WEF, you see um, an intentional uh, attempt to use or manufacture crises in order to get to their particular agenda. They've they tried it with global warming and climate change earlier on, and it wasn't working. And so COVID was kind of a godsend because it, they found something that resonated with with people. Uh, enough they, they could fear they could gin up enough fear that people were willing to give up their their freedoms because covid um and they've you know i've I haven't watched a lot of it i've watched a little bit uh of the davos coverage but the theme this year is uh hold on let me i get it right out of his mouth the theme is history at a turning point um and one of the things that they're concerned about is that uh, the proletariat, like us, well, maybe maybe Clint is in the point zero one percent. I don't know, but the proletariat, uh, we all, um, they're worried that uh, we don't trust them anymore, and uh, and they're right, yeah, and they're right. So, mm -hmm. I guess, is the problem in 
I mean, I know the problems in Washington, but how do you deal with the fact that this is not they're they're supported the people that are causing these problems are supported by large multinational organizations and i mean it's not it's not like it's not like you voted for mr jones and you should have voted for mr smith and mr jones implemented these policies all on his own and like he's destroying the nation and if you just replace it with mr smith you'll get a different uh result in washington no matter whom you vote for you still have an entire globalist uh elite class that has to that actually has quite a bit of control and influence over what the United States does and is, and is getting more. Yeah. I, I describe it as a, a technocratic oligarchy. I mean, we have, yeah, that's, that's really what they believe in is this technocracy, which is the, the intelligentsia that rules over us fools, you know, and that if you, if you lived through the past two years, you now know that they are more than willing to talk about that openly. You trust the science, you trust the experts, you trust Fauci and Burks, and you don't yep. trust anybody else. Uh, you know, you have this limited uh, allowable opinion and anything outside of it makes you a conspiracy theorist and someone who wants to kill grandmothers. So uh, that's that's their mechanism for control. And I think it's sincere. They honestly believe that. They don't believe, this. this is what's so frustrating when they argue in favor of defending democracy across the globe. These people do not believe in democracy because they don't believe in the intelligence of the voters. If you if you right. think that the voting class is stupid, which they do, then why do you want us voting? You don't, which is why you propagandize us aggressively and you manipulate elections. Not in America, obviously. I would never say such a thing, but elsewhere of course not. across the mm -hmm. globe uh, because they don't want democracy. They don't want the people to have a say in what's going on. And this is now the product of it that you have multinational corporations and uh you know supranational organizations like the world economic forum that get to dictate policy and then it gets implemented through uh well the world economic forum but then uh esg ratings blackrock vanguard state street across the board uh, they are all pushing this agenda simultaneously and no one has voted on it and this is a global right. push so it is a very new phenomenon and in fact it was my second category answer so i will uh refrain <laughs> from run right in there okay. i will refrain from answering further all right well we can talk about that in a moment um david what do you think uh, we've been misled about this past week uh the, the fact that we Four need to send you that we need to send ukraine 40 billion dollars uh the you sending 40 billion to ukraine is nothing but a money laundering scheme to the military industrial war complex that only wants to fight this war down to the last ukrainian and try to prolong it just so they can keep funneling money to their cronies they have no care for these ukrainians at all if they cared for these ukrainians blinken would be in moscow right now talking to putin or yep. sergey lavrov. lavrov they would have been talking yep. to them by now if they actually showed any care they would have done that. Rather, instead, they decided we're going to go and try to muddy this, make this swamp even worse for the Russians, uh, at the cost of dragging out this war, causing more and more human suffering. The fact that we are sending forty billion when you know people like like Marjorie Taylor Greene saying when we can't don't even have baby formula on shelves, it's outrageous. They feel that they feel that they can just funnel money to their cronies in the in like Raytheon and Boeing. Uh, all at the cost of Ukrainian lives and American taxpayers getting screwed over in the process. We don't need to be sending that money there at all. Well, and actually, it's in, it's empowered. I think it's, you know, long term, I think you're going to see more blood as a result, obviously, but it's empowered Zelensky. I was just seeing this morning that he's now said that uh, it was either Zelensky or um, 
someone in his his you know higher ups was saying that they're not they're not looking for a ceasefire. They don't want to negotiate a ceasefire anymore. It's like, well, that's because you're armed. Like <laughs> if you were if if you didn't feel like you had big brother, and I don't mean that in the Orwellian way, I mean that in a big brother, big sister way. If you didn't feel like you had big brother on the block to back you up all the time, maybe you would be negotiating a peace treaty instead of uh willing being willing to kill every last Ukrainian. I mean, year, year to date, the U.S. government has spent more money on Ukraine's military than Russia has on their own. So, yep. yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no chance that this war would be as protracted as it's been if it weren't for American support. Now, if you strongly believe that Ukraine is innocent on in all of this, then maybe you can make an argument that that's a good thing. Uh, I personally do not find it to be a good thing that we are using these people in a proxy war to control or hem in Vladimir Putin. And really, it's in my opinion, it's about defending the petrodollar reserve system where the US, uh, US dollar is, that's basically the only reason that we are still the top dog on the block and we have to defend that. And, and Putin has aggressively, uh, you know, sold his resources in uh, the ruble, and, and that is a huge threat to the U.S. hegemonic empire. So it's going to get ugly, man. And and I, I think that there's a very high probability that Zelensky or whoever would have replaced him, because I don't think that this would have been very popular if America hadn't come to his defense. Uh, I think that he's he would have been at the negotiating table a long time ago if it weren't yeah. for our involvement. And and now we're going to see how it plays out. But what it amounts to is a proxy war between nu two nuclear powers. And once again, the American people are not being educated on the danger that they're being put in with all of this. Yeah, it's been a proxy war since like 2014, though, since we overthrew mm -hmm. the Ukrainian government in one of those color-coded revolutions. We funded neo-Nazi groups to attack, you know, Russian-speaking uh, Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. Uh, to commit their little war on terrorism in the east of Ukraine. You know, the two, uh, Duhansk and Luhansk, those provinces that are trying to secede and become their own government. You know, if we, we agree that we want, um, shoot, what's the, what's, the, what's the phrase to go? Self-determination. Yeah, we agree that we want self-determination for Ukraine, but not for these provinces who don't feel like the Ukrainian government represents them, so they want to go and form their own government. They wanted to join Russia for a while, but Russia didn't want them in because they got an elderly population that would have strained the the Kremlin's treasury and the resources. So, but it's been a proxy war ever since then. They've committed, they've been doing a war on terrorism, sending neo-Nazi groups like the Savota Party and the Azov Battalion into that region to cause problems. It's amazing how uh, important self-determination is when it's uh, in your political interest and how unimportant it is when it's not. I think, I, you know, Russia's entire, I just looked it up, Russia's entire military budget annually is $65.9 billion. Um, and that was their increase. That was in 2021 as they were, like, spending more to ramp up for this. So we're outspending Russia's entire military budget at this point in aid uh, to Ukraine if you, if you start adding all of this up. And the thing that worries me, you need to talk about a proxy war, uh, well, I guess we could talk about a couple things. One is, Clint, you brought up the petrodollar. I Hasn't Putin made uh, allusions to gold-backed rubles? He has, yes. Uh, he's been talking about uh, ensuring an exchange rate, which sets a floor under the ruble, and essentially is likely why we are seeing such severe inflation here is because 
the the dollar is now no longer uh, viewed by many central banks as a secure asset. So they they've stopped buying our, our treasuries. Which when they stop buying our treasuries, well then we have to monetize our debt more aggressively, or we have to hike interest rates to to stop the inflation. Which is now why you're seeing the stock market take a shit. I mean, it's just it's a problem all the way across the board. But to your point about how we don't honor uh, you know self determination or democracy, we just cooed to the leadership of uh, Pakistan, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, we we never care about the democratic or self determination rules. Uh, unless they are friendly to us. And this is why it's so uh, irritating to have them talk about defending democracy because uh, we, 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 cooed, we cooed in Ukraine, we cooed in Pakistan, we've cooed all across the Iran. Globe. I mean, we've cooed most of the of Middle course. East at some point. And yeah. yeah, my entire and life plus some. So it's, it's just a flat out lie. And if you know that, then you know that you're being lied to when they use it against you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to the... Sorry, sorry to go ahead. No, go ahead, David. Oh, nope. well, like the idea of just funding these extremist groups, even if they're just small fractions. Well, you know who also was a small was like a small fraction that just grew because of government funding? Uh ISIS, ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Syria. Uh Jabhat al-Nusra was part of the Free Syrian Army. That is the Syrian wing of Al-Qaeda. We were propping them up to fight Assad, you know, who wasn't even gassing his people, they later admitted. That was actually just Al-Qaeda guys trying to get more funding. Uh, but we fund these extremist groups in Syria. And you know what happens? An extremist group decides, you know, we're not going to wait around for Al-Qaeda. We're going to go and ca carve out the Islamic Caliphate in the west of Iraq, in the east of Syria. And so they just carve this out. And you know what? They they form one of, probably one of the most brutal regimes in the world. So when we're funding literal neo-Nazi groups that are descended from Stepan Bandera and all of these, you know, World War II era Nazi groups, you know, the they're the, the descendants of the Galatian SS who perpetrated the Holocaust. When we're when we're funding these groups, can you imagine what these people will do after they get all the shiny new toys? Because you know who's who we get who we funnel those the money to first? The fiercest fighters who happen to be the neo-Nazis. What are they going to do with all these shiny new toys? Are we going to see the rise of like another Nazi group in the world? I would, I wouldn't like to see that. If you yeah. want to know who will be fighting in the future, look at who we're funding today. Comic Dave Smith, the great. Yeah. In fact, you're reminding me, I happen to have this here because I interviewed him recently. The last, the last sentence, I'm going to read you the last sentence or two in Scott Horton's uh, enough already book. He says, uh, he's he's talking about the war on terrorism. We just have to call the whole thing off, ceasing intervention and relying on the thorough vetting of those who enter our country to make sure they never worked for the U.S. or our allies as paid mercenary terrorists will have to do. I mean, it just it's like in a nutshell, like, oh, you want to end the war on terror? Just don't let people that the CIA is funded into the country. Uh, that's probably <laughs> a good a good way to go about it. Uh, which is, and stop yeah. arming and funding them. Yeah, I mean, I I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised within a decade if we're not. Uh, you know, in some sort of hot conflict with the Azov Battalion. It, our, it sounds crazy now, yeah. but our our history proves that to be a fairly high probability event. And it's just it's just exhausting that that no matter no matter how obvious all of this becomes in hindsight, when you try to extrapolate and apply it to the present, uh, people think that you're crazy or call you conspiracy theorists. It's like, look, Spend my entire life, okay? We funded we funded Al Qaeda yeah. to to fight against uh, uh, Russia, and and then they ended up attacking us, and we had you know some of the longest wars in American history because of it. So, or I think they were the longest wars in American history because of it. So it's 
we've just got to stop. We've just got to stop. And and the central banking is really the reason that they're able to perpetuate this insane cycle. And that's why I rail against it so aggressively. Well, let's let's uh, unpack that just a little bit in terms of the pet. You mentioned the petrodollar. And I think a lot of people's eyes glaze over when they when you talk about finance uh, and, and the dollar because they don't understand uh, the real impact that esoteric banking policies and things like that have on on real people. How so? I mean, my understanding right now is the dollar is actually doing okay. I mean, at least compared to the euro, we're almost at parity with the euro, which is unusual. Right. Um, and obviously, the stock market's crashing. People are pulling their assets out. Bitcoin's not doing well right now for other reasons we can talk about if you want. Um, but people are kind of still using the dollar as a shelter. Uh, and I feel like, you know, I've been a fan of Peter Schiff. I had money with Peter Schiff years ago. Um, I might still have some money with Peter. Like, I've been a fan of Peter Schiff for a while, but he keeps saying, it's about to crash. It's about to crash. It's about to crash. And I think I've been telling everyone that everything's about to crash in for 20 years. And I feel like, all right, like, when is the dollar? Like, how does does the dollar ever crash in this? Like, when is this going to happen? Because I like all the all the writings on the wall here. And yet it's pretty strong against the euro right now. And we came we seem to be able to just keep printing money, printing money and nothing's happening other than yeah, gas well, prices. Are going. The, the mistake is in. Uh, measuring the purchasing pro power of the dollar against other fiat currencies, Fair. Uh, which what you need to uh, apply it to is purchases of goods. I mean, if you look at, at what we're actually paying for our groceries and our gas and everything else, it's quite evident that we are in an inflationary period. Uh, but if you compare it to some other piece of shit fiat currency that's being hyperinflated, well then, yes, you're right. It, <laughs> we, we are we are equally it in trouble. It depends on who's printing faster. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. and and who's hiking <laughs> interest rates faster, and that yep. that's that's really not a good way to evaluate these things because they're both manipulated assets. Um, so, I, I don't. I think that ultimately we will see the death of the dollar in our lifetime. I am one of the few libertarians that does not necessarily believe that it's imminent. The federal reserve has the power to hike interest rates as aggressively as they want to. And they could absolutely break the back of inflation and send us into a cascading deflationary uh, debt default spiral. If they want to, I have no idea what they intend to do. They say that they're going to hike interest rates another half a point, three times throughout the remainder of the year that would bring the Fed funds rate over 2% uh, when you extrapolate those into other borrowing classes that would be pushing 30-year uh, mortgage rates probably north of 7% if they were to do so. That would probably start to at least slow if not really show uh, signs of problems in the real estate market. Um, so I I'm not at all certain that this is the death of the dollar now, but because our national debt is so significant, if they hike those interest rates, they they now uh, increase their their debt servicing costs on the federal level, which makes it very hard for them to function, and they don't like that, you know. So they're stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. Where in the past, the national debt wasn't such a burden that they had to uh, continue to weigh these two factors. You could kind of just continue to keep the pedal to the metal in terms of printing and and worry about it in the future and that's what politicians always do they worry about it in the future well the future is now motherfuckers like this we we have to decide whether or not we're going to default our economy or our national debt or we're going to hyperinflate it away and that's that's my belief is like they're going to decide which direction they go and i think that they're going to hyperinflate it and switch to a central bank digital currency uh but that's that's just a bet i don't know that for a fact yeah 
that's a big issue at Davos, though. And and you've seen uh, with the Terra USD and Luna crash that you saw Yellen step in and say, "Hey, maybe we should be regulating stable coins." And you're seeing a lot of talk about CBDCs. So uh, I'm quite concerned about a central bank digital currency because it's uh, it's one of the it's most the Orwellian game. things you could imagine. Yeah, it's the end game. Yeah. We have to fight it with everything we have. Every single thing that that you're concerned about is accurate. Uh, from social credit scores to the ability to just, you know, shut down your banking account, at, which is what we saw with the Ottawa, uh, you know, Freedom mm -hmm. Rally protesters up in Canada. Uh, it is, it is a, uh, it's a panopticon. It's the, it's the end game. We have to fight it. Yeah. Well, and they, I mean, it's not, this is, this might sound weird to people, but if you have a, C, a central bank digital currency, you could easily have prices be dependent on ESG scores and um, credit, social credit scores and whatever. So I walk into the gas station and for me, because I'm an asshole and cap, the cap price of gas is $20 a gallon. But for, uh, you know, little Mr. Wokey next to me in his, you know, hybrid car, it's $4 a gallon or $3 a gallon or whatever. Um, because I'm doing bad things online and Facebook doesn't like me, but he's, you know, he's retweeting, uh, propaganda from Ukraine or whatever it is that they like. And, so, and by bad things, they mean that you're, you're just arguing in favor of free speech, you know, <laughs> like, like, right. Yeah. No, I'm saying things like, Hey, can we be left alone? Bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, right. So let's, uh, there's uh, something related to what you guys brought up, which is this, um, I forget which one of you were talking about this as a proxy war, maybe both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Both of us brought it up a bit. Yeah. Uh, I saw something, I, I'm sure you guys saw this, but let me, let me actually, I'm going to play a clip because I just want, uh, I want people to see this for themselves. Um, it's quite disturbing. Biden was asked, Biden was asked a question this weekend. <laughs> let's, let's listen. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's a commitment we made. So one, a proxy war with one nuclear superpower is not enough. We need, <laughs> we need two. I'll let, I'll let David talk about the insanity of this before I go. Yeah. So looking at looking at the whole Taiwan situation, well, I mean, like in U.S. foreign policy, since the, since Nixon went over to China, you know, and actually talked to Mao, I, I believe he talked to Mao or maybe it was Dao Xiaoping or how, whoever succeeded Mao. It was, prob it was probably Deng Xiaoping by the time Nixon yeah. was in office, right? Yeah. But Nixon went over to China and it's been U.S. foreign policy that China is actually China and Ta Taiwan is part of China. That's been U.S. foreign policy. Not saying I necessarily agree with that. I would like to see Taiwan remain as free as possible. But again, getting involved with a nuclear power like that is not something we want. If we want to deter Taiwan from being invaded, well, A, we need to encourage trade between China and Taiwan. Because you know what? Free trade is the best foreign policy. If you have those two trading with each other and their economies become interlocked, in my mind, what's going to happen? They want to make sure that that can continue, and so that way they don't have disruptions in their economy. That doesn't look good for politicians. They want to appease their people, so if they if they stay more interlocked, then you're less likely to see conflict. But also, I'm not thoroughly convinced that 
they could take Taiwan. I believe the side that's facing China, the side of Taiwan is very rocky and not easy to board on. So they're, 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 they have like four aircraft carriers, I believe, that have to go all the way around Taiwan while facing bombardment from, you know, an, an island that has been armed to the teeth by the United States military for since like the 50s. And that's been in a somewhat capitalistic economy since then. So I don't know. I'm not thoroughly convinced that they are. There would be able to take Taiwan. I'm just going to correct myself before Kent, Clint, before you jump in. He met with Mao. Nixon met with Mao right before Mao died. So Deng Xiaoping was still in. uh, He was still banished at the time. So I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think that there. I think David's right that it's it's not uh, you know assured that China wants to do it or that they can do it. I think they want to. I don't know if they can. Um, but it's not our business. <laughs> and that's, that's wait, really... wait, something's happening on this sphere that's not the business of Washington politicians. Well, in their I have opinion, to make a it, note it, of that. Yes. In their opinion, it's it's everything is their business. But in my opinion, as a non-interventionist, it is not our business. And it is, I mean, we have already no. this this would amount to a proxy war, anyways, because as David said, we have already armed them to the teeth. So uh, you know, we're, our involvement is inextricable at this point, but I, I think that David's right that if we allow them uh, to trade, which we have, and they have very aggressively, I mean, they produce the majority of semiconductors on the planet, as far as I know. So, uh, and yes. China needs that, America needs the that vast export. majority. It's not even like 51%, it's like 90 something percent. Yeah. Of so, the there, most. there you go. So, yeah. they, they have a tremendously strong economy, and as long as they keep positive trading relationship uh, with China. Hopefully this can be averted or avoided, uh, but I I don't know. I mean the the fact that that we continue to uh, this is this is kind of similar to what we did with Ukraine and Russia in that we continue to arm one side. We continue to I mean we overthrew uh, <laughs> them in Ukraine and then and then we just increasingly applied pressure to one side of the conflict, which in that case it was Russia. In this case it's China. And when we we have uh, you know a deranged invalid president like this who's up there saying that even though we do not have some sort of nato you know peace alliance treaty or whatever with these people we we have an agreement to arm them we do not have an agreement to defend them militarily which is what he was asked so he is verbally changing american foreign policy in this regard and he has now done so multiple times even though his White House has regularly corrected him, the president, <laughs> as to what what our defense agreement is with them. Uh, so I don't know. I, I personally believe that they are they are utilizing Biden's dementia to to have this dual faced approach where he gets to take this really war hockey stance, and then the mm-hmm. White House comes back to China's representatives and say, "Oh no, no, he doesn't mean that," because they're trying to d- deter it. Uh, but at the same time, when you have tensions between two countries, which if you believe they're two separate countries, which Taiwan obviously believes they are, uh, you don't want a foreign power that's in there making things worse. Allow these yeah. people to have a conversation. We should not be making it worse for one side or the other. And that's what we're doing right now with Biden going up there and saying dumb shit like he did today and during the campaign and multiple times. It's just insane. Yeah, and they were playing war games like you saw. I saw, I think it was on NBC. They premiered something how they were playing war games, you know, pitting if the United States got involved in stopping China from overtaking Taiwan. 
And like they left out like one tiny little factor, you know, the fact that we're dealing with two nuclear armed nations right now. We would be dealing with China and the United States. Whether you China might not may only have like around 300 nuclear weapons, but that's still enough to just to pretty much destroy the United States of America if they so chose. And I'm pretty sure we don't want to get into a conflict with, you know, I don't think we want to get into a conflict with a nuclear power nation. That, that, that's like the single stupidest thing ever. I remember um, Scott Horton was talking about in a speech uh, to the to the Utah Libertarian Party. He was talking about how Dick Cheney, when he came into the office and he saw the plans if Russia had launched a nuclear weapon or China launched a nuclear weapon, the amount of nuclear th- – the coverage disgusted Dick Cheney. And we're talking about the guy who shot a guy in the face and during a duck hunt. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was a quail hunt. I'm not totally sure. But this is the this is the guy who's responsible for like the partially responsible for the war in Iraq. He was disgusted by how brutal the United States' response to a nuclear weapon launch was. Do we really yeah. want to be dealing with this? This is world ending. I care more about you know people in my town not being incinerated in a nuclear blast more than I care about the about the people in Taiwan. I'm sorry. That's just my person. That's how I personally feel. I care more about my family not being incinerated in a ball of flame first and not losing the world. Like, I'll pray for Taiwan. I hope Taiwan succeeds if it ever does somehow come to a military conflict. But we should stop escalating this conflict and we need to stop acting like we can just play God when there's nuclear weapons involved. And this is what offends me most is that. When you say things like that, where you say, I care more about my neighbors than I do about the Ukrainians or the Taiwanese, people go, oh, you you uncaring bastard. It's like everyone feels that way. Do you value your family more than you do strangers? Of course you do. And it's uh, this is not some like nationalistic approach as much as it is just a realistic one. We value our family and our friends more than we do people we've never met. That's just human nature. Um, And ultimately, it's not again, it's not our problem. It's not our issue. It's not our region. It's not our territory. And it's not our business. So I, I stand strongly opposed to this and to the Ukraine and Russia uh, meddling that we have propagated for the past eight years. It's just suicide. And and I, I strongly believe that this is a product of a defense of the dying uh, dollar reserve system. I, I, really, I really think that's yeah. how they perceive it. If they stop trading in U.S. dollars, that means that we have to suddenly become fiscally sane. And our government is not prepared to do that, not with the amount of national debt that we have. They simply cannot do it. They will not do it. And they would rather see foreigners die than us have to start to spend within our means. And if you want to talk about who is you know, morally bankrupt, start there. Don't start with people like David and I. It's absurd. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and and they conflate this often with, the, the the statement that you care more about your community than you might care about some Taiwanese people, they conflate it with with you wishing the Taiwanese people harm. Like, I don't wish no. the Taiwanese people any harm at all. Um, but, you know, what something that strikes me is we, we seem to never be willing to fight the philosophical and intellectual war at all. Like we we, we never we're not really saying and, and then we don't give it time to to work. Like, for for example, right now, Xi Jinping is under a lot of fire, even from his, his own CCP, like a lot of people are very upset with his zero COVID policy. They're upset with his support for Russia. Like just because he's in power now and has near dictatorial control doesn't mean he always will. It doesn't mean that, that, uh, 
that we need to shoot people to change status quo in Asia. It means that we need to educate people. We need to explain to them the values. They need to, they need to see the value of having a more free society. And like this stuff takes time. And, and I don't think personally, I think we overestimate China's willingness to even go after Taiwan um, because they need, they need the microprocessors just as much as we do. They need Taiwan's economy to not be destroyed. And a, a war in Taiwan would devastate, I think, China just as much as it would devastate yeah. anyone And they have else. over a billion so, people to feed, too. So yeah. this, I mean, the, yeah. the, the problem is, is that um, he has been taking some steps to, you know, to insulate his economy. They've been stockpiling wheat. They do look as if they are at least preparing for the potential for war. Uh, whether that means Taiwan or if they just think that this is a, a threat from the U.S., I don't know. I don't know which. Um, but regardless, we have now put them on the defensive, on the back foot. And and really, the problem is that we lost the moral high ground. We are no longer yep. that shining city on the hill that gets to say, look at how free we are. Be like us. We locked down our economy for two fucking years like a bunch of lunatics. So now there is no example. There is no you know moral high ground from which we can preach to these people and say there's a better way to live look at us it's like well i guess desantis could but the rest of the country pretty much can't right um so that's a big problem and and i this is why i'm so you know distraught over the trajectory of this nation is that you know we used to be that and we aren't anymore yeah yeah and we're using things like china's social credit Mm -hmm. system as as a muse to come up with our own stuff and we've got our own esg so when i i think that the quote propaganda coming from the chinese government about how horrible our government is and how authoritarian it is like a lot of the propaganda is around that kind of stuff it only it only works because it lands with people because it's real like oh it is a legitimate i mean it's it's basically just saying you know you too right <laughs> but right you know it's not doesn't mean china's good but we've given them plenty of uh, of moral ammunition to use against us. Absolutely. Yeah. Not to mention their economy is kind of screwed. I believe their central bank is probably just as bad as the Fed. They build. They're building like ghost cities. You know, they're because they're trying to hire people. You know, make sure that they have jobs and keep their economy going. So they keep building these ghost cities, investing in these projects that just where no one goes. You know, they keep building things that nobody occupies at all, and so their housing market. It's ready to cr- collapse. I believe like it's like a third. Keynesianism. Yeah, I believe <laughs> yeah. it's like a third of their economy. And if it just collapses, and trust me, these sort of things do collapse, it's going to hurt the Chinese economy badly. Not to, and I mean, yeah. they're, 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 they're literal Potemkin villages. I mean, yeah, they they really are. I, I agree more with Trump in that it's an economic war more than anything, but mm-hmm. I don't think he approached it the right way. He decided to engage in protectionism rather than, you know, actually letting free markets show that we're better than their whatever fascistic communist capitalist pseudo system they've got. Why not let the free market actually show that it works? Well, and look for, for if you want to start, if you want to fight a, an ideological war over the long term, you know, one of the most effective things that we've done against Chinese communism, and I hesitate to even call it communism because it's Deng Xiaoping kind of threw that out the window and was like, it's, you know, authoritarianism. Uh, but one of the most effective things we've done is have trade with China um, because people come here, they learn uh, that, hey, I'm free to go on Facebook and to talk about what I want and, and whatever. And then they go home 
to China and they and they start to ask, well, why can't I do this? And they push back and they have, a, I guess we need VPNs to get around the government. It does change. It takes a long time. But part of how cultures change is through exchange. And our, the, the most valuable thing America had to export in the past was our culture. Now, I'm not sure it's more of a poison. But one of the most valuable things we had to export in the past was the culture of liberty. And we didn't. Instead, we mouthed about democracy and armed a bunch of terrorists for decades. Uh, and didn't work out so well not to mention we've just been exporting the dollar like the dollar that's been dying we keep exporting that in the form of debt to china and buying more and more goods and you know what it's not very useful like that's how we kind of lessen the impact here at home we export it abroad you know make it china's problem to deal with a devaluing mm -hmm. dollar and you know what that's going to hurt them in the long run that's why they probably want to stop buying our debt and debt monetization happens yeah, and it's not yeah, just I mean, China; it's every country. I mean, we we have been exporting our our inflation to the rest of the world, and you see many third world countries that suffer because of it. Sri Lanka is, you know, currently in a revolution because of it. So, yeah, this this there is a uh, knock on effect or blowback, if you will, that we don't necessarily feel in the present, uh, but other countries feel now, and we will eventually feel ourselves when the chickens come home to roost. You just, this, this game can't last in perpetuity and it will not. Yeah. Yeah. Let me do a few super chats because we've had a bunch and I've been ignoring them. So let, <laughs> let me jump in. Some of them That's are directly popular. for you. I don't even know what this is about. Christopher Baker says, Clint, what happened with you and Pete Quinones? I don't, is that a thing? Do you know? Yeah. Talk? I mean, I've, I've addressed it on my show. I'd, I'd really right. rather not. That's fine. I don't, I don't even know what it's about. Ago. So I don't, yeah. I don't, <laughs> whatever. Uh, Christopher Baker also says, Angela McArdle, the next chair of LP National. I will so be a delegate help. in Reno and let us pray that that's the case. Uh, we I think we vote on Friday, this Friday, so we'll we'll get to decide. And uh, there's about a thousand delegates. And I, I hope that if I'm the deciding vote, that'll be incredible. But maybe democracy will work for once. Yeah, well, I'm not going to cross my fingers. Uh, I, <laughs> No offense to the official Libertarian Party. I know you're both officially involved, but as a guy who's been free market dude for 25 years, it's I've kind of given up on. It's like, oh, Joe Jorgensen now. Thanks, thanks, guys. Like that's that's good. Let me know when you pull well, your head out of your ass and have. Well, I'm I'm literally. I'm, Don't you want to be a? Go I'm ahead, literally let, letting you know right now, Carter. We are pulling our heads out of our all right, all right, currently. Yeah. So I, I have hope. Better. The Mises Caucus gives me hope. I'll just say that the Mises Caucus <laughs> gives me hope. So. Uh, Judge Lott says, Clint, can you put Carter in touch with Ryan Dawson? Uh, I don't know who that is. If not, Reed Coverdale, pro Reed probably can, but I don't even know who Ryan Dawson is. Oh, you'll know who Reed, you'll know who Ryan Dawson is soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could put you in touch, but uh, if you value you, your YouTube channel, you may not want to have him on. I don't know. He's <laughs> he's probably the most censored man on the internet. Uh, oh, really? So just, All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's been nuked from every platform. A thousand and PayPal. Well, and PayPal. <laughs> Yeah, everything. Mm, nice. He's, uh, he's on the front lines of the unbanking of the unclean. Excellent. Well, that's that's worth a conversation. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Baker says, if magic made the entire world free tomorrow, half the world would throw that freedom away in 100 years. Many want to live under dictators. You know, I, I, totally I actually, I, I don't know about that, honestly. If we, well, I think that most people are, I think most people are not willing to be leaders. They're more willing to be, you know, kind of like, followers you know kind of make some might say sheep but i think that if it became appealing enough they would just follow you know free market people like clint here you know he's somewhat inspiring i think they that a larger portion of people would just Somewhat. follow him 
<laughs> Son, how dare you? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with you that that if if given the choice, if you actually were to see what a free, uh, you know, nation looks like versus a totalitarian one, the the majority probably would choose the free one. the The problem is is that these people are so severely propagandized that they don't they don't know which is which, and they they think that you know the freedom oriented society is the evil one and the uh, top down technocratic state one is the good one uh, many many people in america believe that these days and that's something i really never expected i never i never thought that we could get here but after the lockdowns uh, you really have to reassess your faith in your fellow man which is why i've become more of an advocate for secession than i am you know reform of the federal us government i just think that there are at least 30 40% of the people in this country that strongly believe that lockdowns during a pandemic is the way to go. And I don't yeah. want to live in a country with people like that. It's just too dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's kind of, I've, I've, this is a question I've been thinking about for a while and I'm also on your side, Clint, I don't know where David you are, but I'm, I'm also more of the, let's just get in a lifeboat somewhere and, and you guys can have your, <laughs> you can have your Obamacare and everything else you want and your, right. your Fauci, your Fauci idol. Um, but I think there's, there's a couple, there's, there's two different issues that I see. One is, um, I think intellectually supporting freedom requires, um, I'm, I'm going to sound like an arrogant jerk, but recording, reporting, <laughs> supporting freedom requires a, uh, a high functioning prefrontal cortex with the ability to long-term project and understand that like this minor thing that's a discomfort can't will eventually work itself out in the free market and like and and the other thing it requires is i think there's no shortage of people in the us who want to be left alone but there's a dearth of people who are willing to leave others alone um and that's a psychological issue right there's a lot of people who will say yeah leave me alone and then it's like okay great clint's going to go rub jello on his body and run naked down the street and it's like well there needs to be a law against that like that we need to stop Clint. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. Um, Trust me, they've stopped him many a time. What am I yeah. supposed to well, do with all this Jello? I have to I use know. it somehow. Yeah. Uh, so I no. look. I it, it's a long term problem. So to me, it's like, well, look, the human race needs to change in some way. In the meantime, we need a lifeboat of people who are already willing to leave each other alone. And uh, New Hampshire, my friend, New Hampshire. I'm an advocate. Are you in New Hampshire, David? I'm not in New Hampshire, but I'm an advocate for the Free State Project because that's the dream. The dream is to move to New Hampshire, man. That's the goal. But like New Hampshire, they're actually doing it. They're concentrating libertarians, you know, people who care about personal liberty and freedom and property rights. And they're all congregating in New Hampshire. And you know what? They're actually winning. They're the freest state in the nation. Sorry, Florida. No, it's it's yeah. true. Uh, I, I know. I'll I know. Giving... Clint's not one of the die-hard fl Florida or die people. No, no. I, I mean, I am. I am. You're Freedom a fan. Die. But I am a fan of Florida, but ultimately you're right. I mean, the Free State Project is is the uh, it's the proving grounds for libertarians. I mean, they they have an opportunity to to really show what our ideology amounts to in reality. And I'm thrilled that they are pursuing it so aggressively. Uh, Porkfest is this annual event where libertarians from all over the world come together, and it'll be in New Hampshire in about a month now, almost exactly a month. Yep. And I'll be giving two hour long speeches to those lunatics. And I can't can't wait. I've never been to New Hampshire. I've never been to Porkfest. So this is going to be incredible. I get to actually see what this amounts to on the ground. So I, 
I'll report back, but I, I am a huge believer in, um, you know, ideological segregation simply because there's not enough people in this country that that truly believe in the what I I don't even think that they're libertarian principles as much as they are, uh, you know, the fundamental principles of America, of the founding fathers. You know, what like what what I was indoctrinated to believe we fought for <laughs> when we fought right. for independence. You know, um, those those are the the beliefs I still hold to this day, and I just want to be with people that cherish those beliefs and are willing to sacrifice in the present to attain them again. It's uh, you know we had a lot of a lot of generations that suffered, and I don't mean World War II and Korea and all these other wars that really were not a threat to America. I mean the the founding fathers, the ones that you know threw off the the greatest uh, empire in the world at the time, and and fought and bled for independence. And I, I I really cherish that ideal, and I'm willing to to carry on that that torch of liberty to come hell or high water. Yeah. Well. Uh... Yeah, Porkfest. I have been to Porkfest. It is great. Oh, um, nice. I, I judged I judged, judged a startup pitch competition at Porkfest last year. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to do it again, but uh, it's all kinds. You see, if you want to experience what what liberty feels like, you go to Porkfest, and it's people with like hippie looking people smoking pot, and conservative looking people with ties, and everyone's just there, and they're all you know chilling, leaving each other alone uh and not complaining about their neighbors or whatever it's it's uh it's kind of cool so all right clint what should we be talking about that we that we aren't talking about well the biggest thing uh that i've been kind of spreading the message on is esg uh if more people are familiar already with the concept of social credit scores that was considered conspiracy theory nonsense five years ago. Now we have seen it get rolled out pretty aggressively in China. So people are more willing to accept that, yeah, there are a lot of really crazy dictator-like people on the on the planet that believe that you should have uh, you know, social credit scores that dictate how you get treated as a citizen in, in your country. This is, uh, to put it very simply, uh, an extrapolation of that belief, uh, kind of a backdoor implementation of social credit scores by applying corporate credit scores, where every multinational uh, business that wants to receive any sort of funding has to uh, function in a way that gets them rated by S&P and uh, these other uh, big ratings companies, including you know the Klaus Schwab's and World Economic Forums of the world that get to sit up there and say, your environmental, your social, your government score, it adds up to X. X means that you are good. Good means that BlackRock and Vanguard and, and State Street will now purchase your stock, which will allow you to thrive. And it is a incredibly nefarious backdoor to Marxism because what ESG amounts to, despite all of the bells and whistles and the, the good sounding nature of it, is an implementation of Marxism. It is, it is stakeholder capitalism uh, replacing shareholder capitalism. And shareholder was what we're accustomed to, which is capitalism. And stakeholder is the employees and the diversity of your board and how you treat the economy and, you know, every every Democrat talking point. It's all, <laughs> you know, tied up yes. with a bow and, and uh, you get a score stamped on you. And then these huge money managers that have north of 20 trillion under management already. Uh, some people think it's already over 50 trillion. It's estimated it'll be clearly over 50 trillion by 2025. I mean, that is 
enormous sums of money. You can absolutely reimagine the economy. If you reimagine the economy, you can reimagine society in your image. And I do not like the image they are trying to reimagine us into. So that is the story that we ought to be focusing on. And I am doing everything in my power to make this the, the libertarian talking point of 2022. We have to be on the front line of this. We had an opportunity to do so when it came to lockdowns, which is why I titled my show Liberty Lockdown when I started after I retired from being a mortgage broker. Uh, this is now the new hill to die on. And we absolutely have to be the uh, the vanguard in this in this fight because uh, if, we're, if we intend to wake up anybody that thinks that the libertarians are crazy, we've got to be on the front lines informing them of what is happening, why it's happening, why is wokeism taking over uh, your your nation, your culture, even though you hate it every step of the way. Why is it happening? This is why. ESG. Yep. And and I and I just to be clear for people that don't understand the way ESG works is your ESG score takes a hit if you do business with someone who doesn't have a good ESG score. So if this is how it spreads like a virus. So if you if you have control at the top where you have uh, people affiliated with central banks. Uh, and controlling, like you're saying, maybe $50 trillion worth of capital. Uh, that, to use a Reagan phrase, that trickles down, and it trickles down in a, in a way so that if you want to open, let's say you want to open a bakery, right, in, in your small town, or you want to sell mugs online, or whatever you want to do, um, and you get a little business, well, let's say you have to get a business loan, or you have to have a payment process, or you have to get a web hosting company, or whatever, all the all the all the partners that you need to do that, that a normal business would need, well, they may be under obligation to only do business with you if you meet certain ESG, even your tiny bit, if you meet certain ESG uh, score criteria. And because uh, the people that they do business with, the banks or whatever, <laughs> the people up the food chain economically, they are requiring them to have this ESG and adopt this program. And so... It's it's a yep. it really is a way to um, spread an ideology through coercion virally. Bingo, you nailed it. I mean, it's and this is this is the thing I try and really drive home. It's not brand new. They, uh, I think it was Kofi Annan in two thousand four wrote a letter to fifty of the biggest corporations uh, on the planet basically laying out this idea of shifting from shareholder to stakeholder capitalism. And what do you know? The biggest money managers on earth responded positively, which makes yeah. no fucking sense. <laughs> but they saw very quickly that they could they could continue to accumulate power while suppressing any sort of um, you know populist uprising from the left against them for their greed and their pursuit of wealth and all these things that the left hates by by just you know shining it over with a bunch of woke language. Uh, and that's what they're doing. So it, the game the game is transparent once you understand it, but it's very complicated for people to understand because very few people understand how economics works and very few people understand how this is actually being implemented. It sounds so nefarious and so conspiratorial. It's very, it's very hard to express it in a way that doesn't come off as conspiratorial, but they're doing it in open. I mean, you have these people at Davos right now at the World Economic Forum right now that are going to talk about this openly right now. You could go listen to these people and they will talk about how they intend to reimagine your entire existence from what you consume to what you put in your body, what you must put in your body, what you must not put in your body. I mean, these people are total, uh, they're totalitarian and they're open about it and they think that they're good, which is the scariest part about it. They honestly believe 
that they are good people and that they know better than you and they will implement their worldview upon you whether you like it or not and it's for your benefit and when you have bad actors that believe that they're doing a good thing they are extraordinarily dangerous so it's vitally important that the american people in particular wake up to this divest in my opinion of this is not financial advice of uh, ma money managers like BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, anybody that is implementing this ESG uh, mechanism for control, you you have to divest yourself if you intend to fight it. They can still go to the Fed window, which is why we ultimately need to end the Federal Reserve too, if we're going to really prevail over this, but we can apply pressure now. Let them know that we know what's happening and we don't like it and we're not going to participate anymore. That's how you start fight. It's, it may not be the end, but it's the beginning at least. Maybe we need an anti-ESG uh, certification. <laughs> that there's we, that there's already spread. one that's being rolled out. Uh, Vivek uh, okay. uh, Ramaswamy, actually, uh, I forget the name of it, but there is a uh, ETF or whatever it's called that is is uh, not focusing on that. They are focusing on you know the best companies. What a what a novel concept. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. I don't know, man. I. I don't know if we can prevent the rollout of this totally. So I feel like we have to form a parallel economy at this point. You know, decouple from that one, get into our own. And that's where I think Bitcoin's important. You know, I've been I've been criticized because I recently just jumped on the Bitcoin train. But you know what? I only I see that as really our only hope. If we get to get we need to get out of fiat. We need to get out of there so that way we can we don't get screwed over when ESG happens, you know, not your keys, not your coins. You need to actually be able to control your currency, where it's sent, how it's sent. And we need to, we need to make our own economy. So we don't have to rely on this totalitarian state and pray that we don't say the wrong thing. Otherwise we'd be silenced. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, a couple things. First, I want just want to point this out so people understand historically progressivism was technical technocracy. Um, I mean, it's late, like late 19th century, read the progressives. They are all about uh, a dictatorship of technocrats. That's what they're about. Um, so that's, that is, it's, it's amazing that they write things and they say them out in the open. And, and then when you repeat them, it's, you're the person who's crazy conspiracy theory, whatever, but they, they, this is what they've been saying. Um, you know, as Clint pointed out, uh, the ESG stuff isn't new. A lot of these are, in fact, King Camp Gillette, who's the founder of Gillette, um, Way back when he founded Gillette, I don't know how, you know, 100 years ago, long time ago, um, he had a vision for basically Marxism slash fascism. I mean, there's actually not a lot of difference between Marxism and fascism in the sense that, you know, one guy controls everything or a small committee that votes for the chairman control everything. I mean, it's not it's not really that different. Uh but his view, his his path, so the the Marxist path has traditionally been you get the proletariat riled up and they're going to actually they never are the ones who overthrow. It's always the intellectuals, but whatever <laughs> you get the proletariat riled up, they're going to, you know, overthrow the the evil kulaks and 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 bourgeois. And then and then you get your Marxist utopia. His vision was, well, instead of doing that, what you could do is build a really successful company and that company gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it subsumes more and more things and other companies that are getting bigger and bigger and eventually they merge. And it's this, it eventually just subsumes the entire economy and kind of merges with the government and voila, you end up with centralized authoritarian control over the entire economy, but you've done it through, not through the route of, holding up Marxist signs and wearing Che Guevara shirts, but you've done it through the route of uh, 
building BlackRock and <laughs> investing in in companies and building a coalition of companies that just eventually become un managed under one roof. Uh, and I think that's what we're let. I think we're literally seeing that being implemented right now in front of us. Well, you you understand it very well. Uh, this is a backdoor to Marxism. <laughs> it really is. And instead of using all of the uh, the language of the early 1900s, they are now using, you know, the the wokest language. And and people right. have been indoctrinated through the colleges to believe that equity and inclusion and all these uh, good sounding words are what we ought to be pursuing uh, above all other ideals. And, and that's, that's why it's popular and that's why they will allow it to just spread like a virus. And uh, there is no mask that works to stop this one either. So <laughs> we, we <laughs> yeah. have to, we have to find, we have to find ways to do it in, in a creative fashion. Uh, I think that, that David's right, certainly, uh, you know, separating those that are in the know into their own uh, economic model, if you will, is is yep. a good good starting place to have a competing model. Uh, but ultimately, as long as they have the central banks and they're able to print and they have a monopoly on violence, uh, and you also have the vast majority of people in America and across the planet that don't understand what's transpiring, uh, you are really leaving billions of sheep to the wolves if you only intend on separating yourself off. And perhaps I'm too, I don't know, too much of a bleeding heart to just give up on the other 7 billion people on this planet, but I'm not willing yet. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to try and get this to be a national movement. And if, uh, if I fail in that, then I will, you know, extricate myself to New Hampshire or wherever, wherever this, uh, this ex exclusive, uh, freedom market oriented economy exists. You know, I almost feel like ESG would be the perfect vessel for them to Im implement something like uh, Harrison Bergeron. You know, this it's this old <laughs> novel where they believe we all have to be equal. So what they do is they take steps to make sure that nobody gets ahead. If there's someone who's fast, what they do is they tie, you know, they tie weights around someone's ankles so that way they can't run fast. Stuff like that. Oh, everyone else is you're managing to eat but everyone else is starving sorry your esg score went up a bit so you know what happens there fella you got to cut back on eating properly it's it's terrifying it's totalitarian like you're not says. you're eating more than your fair share of steak or whatever it is right like yeah you have you're more you're more than your fair share of housing or whatever it's yeah but but see that this is this is why it's so transparently fraudulent these people fly on their private jets to World Economic Forum, you know, conversations to talk about how right. us us peasants are polluting the world and we're going to have global warming because right. of it. They they never apply it to themselves because they believe that they are superior to us. Like they they have already decided, as you said, you know, you have this uh, this small cabal of technocratic elites that that get together. Well, in Marxism, you know, they believe that everyone will be equal, uh, but it's not the case. They you right. in any sort of economic system, whether it's totalitarian or otherwise, you're going to have some resources that scarce resources, and you're going to have some people that get the majority of it and they have to have each other's back. You know, they, they have to come to each other's defense because they realize that if the, the, the peons, the people that they hate us realize what's happening, we're not going to allow it to, to persist. Yep. Um, so this is why they, they pursue people like Elon Musk when he tries to acquire Twitter uh, even though some conspiracy theorists think he's in on it, I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, 
they they don't want us to be able to speak freely because if we can speak freely, this is this is something that that has the power to wake up a lot of people, and they cannot allow that. So they, that's in my opinion, that's why the suppression uh, on internet conversations has become so aggressive, be it YouTube or Twitter or wherever else, is that this is this is it. This is the end game. Like if if they can actually implement this, if they can implement social credit scores uh, along with the incredible improvements in spying technology that exists. It's over. Like they, they will have yeah. accomplished it, and w- this is why it's such an existential fight for those that do understand what's happening. We, we cannot allow them to pre- prevail. This is not something you can bounce back from. Yeah, they're building the dystopian infrastructure right now. Hundred percent. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, one thing I just want to point out to people because I think a lot of people don't, you know, they assume that someone who's, let's say, managing BlackRock, that they're that they're just only driven by money, and that's not true. I mean, I look when you when you can't feed your kids, you're driven by money because you love your kids. You're really driven by love, but you're you're driven by you know money's a big deal, right? So when you have ten thousand dollars in the bank, money's a, a bigger deal than when you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, and and then but it's less of a deal when you have a million dollars. It's less of a deal when you have ten million dollars. When you have a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars in the bank. Money is not your driving factor anymore. The difference in lifestyle between being a billionaire and a 10 billionaire is pretty minor. Um, like, But the difference in what, what you start to focus on, I think what a lot of these people start to focus on is power. Um, they like they, they want the, 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 the power and prestige and whatever else come that they, they feel they need to get with the money. Not everyone does that, but that's why you have... You know, that's why you have these people. You wonder, like, well, why would they agree? Why would BlackRock? Why? Why? When Kofi Annan sent this letter to 10 companies or however many it was, you said, like, 50. why would they agree to this? 50 companies. Like, why would they agree to this? Well, they're not they're not primarily led by maximizing profits anymore. They have other concerns. They want to get invited to the right cocktail party. It's as simple as this. They want to get invited to the right cocktail parties and be able to have power in the right circles and control things. The way. Like, that's that's what they want. And yeah, if, you know, changing their profit schedule gets them that, then okay. Yeah, well, and and also when you have this level of wealth, you can have a, a longer time horizon. You know, if you're if you're just yes. trying to keep your head above water and feed your family, you can't really think about two years down the road. When you have billions in the bank, you can think about decades in the future. And yep. and I think that's what they've done. And and also, you know, money is only one aspect of power. Uh, money is an important aspect of it, but it's not everything. <clears throat> you can see, you know, very wealthy people that have been put in prison recently. So it's it's not the the state and the the ability to manipulate the mon- monopoly on violence is kind of the the final frontier of power accumulation. And these people have done so. I mean, they have done it. They now they now have uh, the ability to dictate what seven billion people across the planet do when a virus uh, comes out whether they were involved in the creation of it or anything like that, I won't say because we're on YouTube, but you know, like <laughs> this is, this is pretty crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's everything, man. I, I really believe this is, this is the fight of our lives and, and the, the lockdowns were the trial run to see what they could get away with. And they got away with basically everything. Um, so they, they, now they were very pleased with the results. <laughs> yes. So now they're going to look at that and go, well, no, now let's see about whether or not we can just, give over uh, all national autonomy to supranational organizations like the uh, 
the UN or the uh, what's the other one? I'm forgetting World, the, World Economic Forum, well, World Health Organization. What are you WHO? For? That's the one I was. Yeah. Looking for. Oh. Um, so it's a UN division, right? I think. Yeah. 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 So same same difference, but it's more targeted towards uh, you know pandemic scares, which we now have the mon <laughs> monkeypox scare, and it's like. I mean, the, it just, it all becomes so obvious <laughs> once, once you take that first red pill and you start to really uh, go down this path of like trying to learn about it. And, and I was very fortunate because I had such an in-depth understanding of, you know, high finance because of the career that I was in, uh, that this this clicked for me very quickly. And, and I, I realized that my Austrian economics background paired with my libertarian background paired with my economic expertise just made me the perfect messenger for this because I, I can try and take all of these disparate concepts and you know funnel them down into something that is hopefully palatable that will hopefully wake people up and if I'm successful uh, hopefully we can prevent this because it's like I've said it's it's really the end game yeah David you're talking about a parallel economy with Bitcoin um, I mean I look I like Bitcoin. I was a cryptographer back in the late nineties. I mean, like I've, I've been, I'm a Bitcoin supporter. I'm an Ethereum supporter. Um, but the, the, aside from the technical issues with Bitcoin itself, um, I mean, at the end of the day, one of the issues here is a, unless you're using a privacy coin, all of this is traceable and B at some point you, you can't eat digital assets. You need to buy real items in the real world and if we do have an environment in which there is a monopoly on the use of force from people who are opposed to the medium of exchange that we're using how does how does a parallel economy save us from that i'm not trying to be a naysayer i just i don't have the answer i mean i mean look at it already you have like a war on drugs and you see drug dealers they still do it anyways they control the currency and you see drug dealers they still exist right i mean maybe i'm making sort of like the agorist argument here you know where there where the black market and the gray markets they will survive because you want know the state it's if it's one thing it's incompetent uh it, it will it will miss things and so it is so if you if you have the ability to take the shot to do it it's always good to do so i mean look at new hampshire new hampshire has the highest use of like cryptocurrency use amongst its people that like i believe there's even gas stations where you can pay for your gas in crypto i mean you, yep. you're already starting to see it sprout up like the infrastructure where people are adopting crypto and they're coming up with these ideas of like what if i accept bitcoin as a currency i understand like the state seems against crypto, it seems against Bitcoin, but you know what? Ultimately, it's impossible to stop unless they like shut down the internet or electric all of our electricity, which by then we'll have bigger problems than them dealing with Bitcoin if it gets to that. Well, I mean, tell I that to Ross Albright is all I would say is like, okay, like how big of a black market can you have? I mean, there's a small, there's a, okay, there's a, there's a, I, look, obviously we're all against the war on drugs, I think on this mm -hmm. podcast right uh so i am it's cool that there's a black market and someone's on the street dealing whatever i mean i don't necessarily think it's healthy or good for them but no okay fine uh there's a black market there but i don't want it like if i to get hamburger meat for my family i don't want to have to go into the black market and risk being imprisoned to feed my family and that's that's what you're talking about when you say like well you know It'll be widespread and they can't stop it. It's like, well, I, I, you know, they can. All they need to do is throw a few people in jail and make a, an example of them. A few like normal people so that I look at my neighbor and go, crap, he's just like me 
And all he did was conduct his business in, well, let's say it's not Bitcoin, but whatever, uh, <laughs> AVAX, right? And he he is in jail now and estranged from his children and and whatever. So I get, I, I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to be a naysayer and dystopian, but I'm trying to think about solutions. Like what do you possibly do in a world where there is no safe haven from jackboots <laughs> with guns who will shoot you for buying lettuce with Bitcoin? I mean, it's it's making calculated risks. Really, it's about knowing whether or not you're what. What are the possible consequences here? Uh, what what do you th- what do you think your chances are of of success and making that best educated decision here? You know, don't put don't take needless risks that you can't sustain the consequences for, or that aren't worth the possible fines that you might deal with. It's kind of like the agorist mentality. I'm not an agorist though. I'll be completely honest. I'm just a fan of, of counter economics. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I I understand the concern. I also feel like that's why sustainability is something we really need to embrace. Like I'm seeing right now, like when they're talking about like food shortages, that's not something that's, that's terrifying. The idea that you might not be able to feed your family and what, what the government has done to our, like our food system with like all their mass subsidies of like all these terrible, terrible products that are terrible for you to kind of cover up for their, um, for their poor monetary policy. I mean, it's you you should people should be growing their own food they really should and i i really hope they do they like people start to pick that up that idea not like the weird antifa guys were in chaz you know with their failed little garden but like actually like learn to grow your own food raise your own animals because i think it's important well th- this is where the the hardcore second amendment libertarian aspect comes into play really and it's going to sound fed posty but it's the truth uh we we have to have some sort of consolidation of our population into a place like New Hampshire. And then we have to have mutual defense agreements. Uh, This is also why I've become involved in the Mises caucus so heavily is because I I think that you're going to have to have uh, political defense. And, and if you can Mm -hmm. take over the local sheriff with people that believe what you believe, if you can take over the local, you know, mayor or governor, God willing in New Hampshire, uh, then you have a real fighting chance of getting, uh, making it extraordinarily costly for the federal government to try and implement their rule over your people. Uh, and I think that's that's where we're headed right now, is that New Hampshire will eventually be in that position, and then it'll become a game of chicken with the feds as to whether or not they want to you know, send in the military or you know, the National Guard or something yeah. to try and, to try and uh, arrest some people that have stopped paying taxes, for instance, in, in New Hampshire, things like that. Um, so yeah, yeah, but you're right. I mean, if you look at the kulaks, you know, whether or not you're uh, sustaining yourself when it comes to food, if you have a nation that is starving because of central planning gone, you know, run amok, they will take those crops, and you're going to have to defend those crops because yep. that's yeah. that's how you stay alive. So and and it's like what 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 do you what is your alternative here? Like if you start like they could seize gold just as easily and stop you from transacting in gold. Like you either stay on the fiat debt money debt slavery option, you go to central bank digital currencies or you try to stake it out and take the risk for a little bit more freedom. I mean, I don't know if we necessarily have a choice at this point. You either accept, embrace fiat and central bank digital currencies or you take a little bit of risk. And I don't know if you guys are willing to take the risk or not, but you know what? I'm going to take that risk that they might crack down on Bitcoin more than staying on this death mission that'll lead to me and my family starving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, David, what what should we be talking about that we're not? 
Well, speaking of starving, uh, there's been a ceasefire in the conflict in Yemen. Uh, I, I think a two-month ceasefire began in... Let me quickly make sure that I'm, I have the right date. April uh -oh. 3rd. April 3rd. They began a two-month... Is Raytheon on that? That sounds like a problem. Yeah, you know, you know, you'd think that. But it was between the Saudis and, and the Houthis themselves. Like, the United States didn't get involved. So we have a two-month ceasefire... Uh, going on in Yemen, which is pretty great. But the fact that they haven't talked about the war in Yemen at all is kind of what I wanted to touch on. They don't touch at all about like the genocide that we're perpetuating there. Ever since, I believe it was 2015, we began that conflict in Yemen where we aided the Saudis in their practical genocide of the people in Yemen by the bombing of civilian structures such as water sources, hospitals, uh, internet access, every, anything they need to basically live and be human beings, we have destroyed. They have cholera outbreaks, and you know what the United States allows the Saudis to do? To bomb hospitals. We are doing that, and we are allowing them to blockade Yemen and prevent them from being able to feed their people. That, that is something that we've completely ignored, and it's disgusting. But right now, there's a little bit of glimmer of hope for the people of Yemen in this two-month ceasefire, and they even stopped the blockade for it. So, Hopefully, maybe this will be grounds for more peace. <laughs> but you know what? Biden lied when he said that he was going to stop the conflict in Yemen. He's He was like, we're going to stop funding the Saudis. We're going to stop giving them weapons. We're going to stop training them. And you know what he did? He continued to sell weapons to the Saudi Arabians for defensive purposes that could easily just be switched around and become offensive weapons against the poor Houthis, who, you know what? They just didn't want a puppet government over there. That's what that, That's why they revolted. And this is yep. part of the petrodollar once again. Uh, the the reason that Biden can't stop arming Saudi Arabia is because if they do, Saudi Arabia will sell their oil and gas to China or Russia in currencies that are not the U.S. dollar. Um, and this is why we have to get off of the U.S. dollar reserve system and the Federal Reserve. I know I keep going back to it, but uh, it is really the root of all root evil. Of, yeah, I was just going to say it's the root of all evil. I mean... Now we don't actually get most of our gas from Saudi Arabia, though, do we? But it's but it's an in, it's a significant fiscal impact if they go denominate in something other than dollars. I believe. Exactly. Go ahead, Clint. Sorry, you're probably oh, more informed on this. No, I was just going to say. I mean, he's right, but it's the it's the demand for the dollar that maintains its purchasing power. So right. if the if an asset as big as that, you know, which is billions of dollars of transactions annually stops being exchanged in dollars, which means that the people that want to buy it have to accumulate those dollars. Well, then you have a diminishing demand, which means that the underpinning of the value of that, that currency uh, decreases. And that's, that's right. kind of what we're experiencing now, which is why when Biden picked up the phone to call them uh, six months ago to increase oil and gas, he, they told him to kick rocks. They wouldn't even pick up his phone. Uh, <clears throat> they want to apply pressure to us. Um, and this is for, for, these types of countries, it's really the only asset they have. So they they have to use this, you know, prudently. They have to decide: Are we going to be in bed with America, or are we going to shift to the bipolar world order, where you know, or or multipolar world order, where China and Russia are are a more valuable trading partner? And and this is the fight that we're we're witnessing, not just in Saudi Arabia, but many many countries, you know, many central banks. And uh, and governments across the world. Do you see Russia and China collaborating on a <clears throat> anti-petrodollar initiative? Yeah, I mean, they. I don't know if they'll actually collaborate entirely, but they are collaborating. 
right now. I mean, they they yep. have replaced uh, I forget what the name of it is, but they have replaced the SWIFT system essentially because the U.S. Uh, right. kicked Russia off, uh, which was completely insane. I mean, we that that is also a threat to the petrodollar system or the the you know U.S. reserve currency system, um, and they forced Russia to start to use China's version of SWIFT, um, and China is you know rapidly realizing what all these other countries are realizing that. This is how the U.S. has controlled, you know, the geopolitical sphere for my entire life and much longer. Um, and and if they intend to have autonomy when it comes to their region, they have no choice but to do what David was just talking about when it comes to creating their own economic system. And that's what's happening. And and that's why uh, the U.S. Uh, you know hegemonic militaristic rule is looking so insane right now, where we're risking nuclear wars with two the two biggest nuclear powers besides us, uh, because this is really what this is about. It's it's existential. It's it's how the U.S. government has maintained its control. And if it stops, our control mechanisms are done. We can't do it anymore. Um, and that that actually pivots back into your earlier point about like how do we, how does agorism survive under a, a totalitarian government like the like the U.S. Well, it won't. Because but it it, it also I don't think that the U.S. government can sustain itself because the the uh, the dollar will eventually hyperinflate, and and in that situation, they'll no longer be able to pay their soldiers, which means that they can no longer implement their their rules over these autonomous, you know, New Hampshire regions or whatever we end up calling it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to point out because like Yemen is the worst thing that's happening in the world. Maybe a little bit less now that they've got the ceasefire and now that we're risking nuclear war with Russia, you know. But like it, it, it single-handedly, it was it was the worst thing in the world until that ceasefire started happening. So like they have a population of thirty million, twenty million of which were in need of humanitarian as assistance. Wow. Fourteen point five million who did not have enough food. Four million people had been displaced as a result. And the United Nations has estimated estimated that the war has killed over three hundred seventy seven thousand people. I'm assuming by the time we get would we would get more accurate numbers, it'd be around 500,000. What we are doing is we are allowing them to systemically kill these poor, innocent people. Because you know what happened, uh, to kind of walk you a little bit through the story quickly, is uh, no, there, I believe their dictator, Hadi, I believe he was kicked out of power. And Hillary Clinton, well, he was sick. He got sent to Saudi Arabia and... For, for like medical treatment. And while he was gone, Hillary Clinton was like, this is how we offboard him. And so they held an election. You know, they were like, here's your purple thumbs. You've seen those images, right? With like, you get one yep. man, one vote. Well, the thing is there was only one person on the ballot. I think that might've been Hottie. I don't recall the, the original dictator's name. I'm not as good with these names as Scott Horton is. Uh, but they, so he comes into power and the Houthis, they don't like this, that the United States is essentially put in a puppet government into their, into their capital. And so what they do is they overthrow the government there. And Saudi Arabia does not like this. They want to put Hadi back in power. And so they begin to launch these wars because they're upset about the Iran deal and that we put gave Iran consent. We basically allowed Iran to take control of Iraq in the form of the Dawah party after the second Iraq war. So what happens here is they're like, hey, U.S., you're going to pay us back, right? Because you've been screwing up all of our stuff. And yep. we decide to appease them by aiding in their genocide in Yemen, which 
They also have the United Arab Emirates as a part of their little coalition. And you know who else is in that coalition? Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. We are arming the people who perpetrated the attacks on 9-11, who bombed the USS Cole. Those are, all of those people, we are giving them funding to fight the Houthis right now. And then, you know what we're doing? We're helping bomb civilians and kill them, destroy their hospitals, destroy their water sources, and prevent them from getting the opportunity to eat. That David, is what we are doing in the Arabian Peninsula right now, and it's disgusting. Saudi Arabia is our is basically a puppet state of the United States government. Do you know what the United States government should do? They should tell them to stop. We care about democracy or human rights like we claim to when we want to try to start conflicts with China. You know what we should do? We should stop the one that we're actively involved in and that we're causing right now. That is what we should be stopping right now. Yeah, David's David's right about all that. And and this is what I was talking about with the you know the moral high ground that we no longer have it. I mean, we, yep. it, Yemen is the the poorest country in the poorest region of the world. <laughs> so, and and when he said there's uh, somewhere between 350 and 500 thousand people that have died during this war, <clears throat> keep in mind <clears throat> the majority are not the you know the, it's not from bombs dropping on their heads. The majority are are the most egregious deaths you can imagine, which is starvation and disease and all sorts of things that are totally avoidable. Um, yep. So it is it is a tragedy. And the U.S. taxpayer, whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not, is making this happen. And it's it's egregious. It's horrific. And it if there was any sort of you know moral high ground to be reattained, uh, this would be the starting place. Yeah. And I I think it's hard for people to hear. I think it's hard for a lot of Americans to hear that the U.S. is doing something so egregious. But you have to understand that it's. I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but I don't think the the people in power in the U.S. care one way or another about either side. This is just about a, quote, pragmatic or practical interest. Well, we need to, you know, we owe the Saudis a favor and we don't want them to get pissed. And so, 100%. You know, I mean, pretty that, much. Pretty much, there have been initiatives in Washington that have tried to stop it. They tried to pass a war powers resolution, which is incredible that they would do that to try to stop us from arming the Saudis and you know helping their pilots train and doing mid mid air repairs and fueling for them. We've we've passed resolutions. You know what Trump did? He vetoed it because Pete Navarro, his trade advisor, got lobbied by Raytheon, and they said, "You know what, Pete? We need those profits." And so Trump comes out. He's like, "I had to veto it because you know we had to protect all those American jobs." You know how many jobs were connected to all that funding he was giving to Saudi Arabia? 40. 40 U.S. jobs were given to, you know what, to just continue committing a genocide in Yemen. That's how disgusting. That's the depravity of these people that we are dealing with. Once you acknowledge that these people simply do not care, that money is able to convince them to just allow this to happen, it's you, you realize just how disgusting the state and the government is. And I can't stand it. And this this should be what we should be fighting for. If you want to like actually make an impact right now with this sort of thing, there's a great group. I believe the Quakers are doing a lot. There's a guy, Hayeb Al-Tayeb, I believe he is. He's got on Scott Horton's show all the time. But he's with the Quakers, and they're trying to lobby to pass war power resolutions to try to stop this conflict from going through. And you know what? We've actually tried to make steps, and you know what they did? They get they get that stuff gets vetoed because, you know, what Trump Trump doesn't care about ending the wars in Yemen. He only cares about, you know, his ego and getting a little bit of extra money under the table. This is the other reason that I'm involved with the Mises caucus, because I uh, both parties, the Democrats and Republicans, are so thoroughly owned by the military industrial complex that it's just we have to have a third option. We have to be able to apply yeah. pressure 
to these groups to let them know that just because the Democrats are completely insane, it doesn't mean that we're going to automatically vote for Republicans. Uh, I really believe that until until we break that duopoly, we will have you know continuing funding of genocides against our will uh, because the politicians and the media will not cover it. They will not talk about it to the American people openly or honestly. Uh, so this is why we need independent media and we need third parties if we have any hope of ever stopping this stuff. It's, it's it, David's right. It's absolutely disgusting. Yeah, and yeah. we don't we don't even need like a, a majority at all in like the House of Representatives. Maybe even like if we got like two senators. If we got two senators, that would be enough to throw a wrench at everything everyone else is doing. Because you know what, America's so divided and we're just so close. Uh, when it comes to like numbers in the Senate, just having two senators would be enough to stop everything. To throw yeah, a wrench look, in the track. Look, look at look at the power Joe Manchin wields. I mean, it's oh yeah. Crazy. So. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't, it, the, the country is very divided. I think that you would actually find that many people that are voting, you know, yes or no, or whatever the good side is would shift if we had two or three, uh, liberty and peace-minded politicians that were there. But, uh, regardless, we have to have more representation of non-interventionist and, you know, sound money, just sane politician, uh, representation on the federal level if we intend to stop this stuff, because, it's it's so pervasive and it's 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 happened my entire life and it's just getting worse so it's 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 heartbreaking <laughs> yeah no it i mean i just uh i just talked to jeremy kaufman who's running for uh u.s senate in love jeremy from new hampshire best campaign uh, yeah uh and you're making me you're reminding me of one of his campaign ads which we we play during the interview at uh but um war is gay man war is gay yeah that we play that one during the interview. <laughs> i'm serious yes uh, he but power I mean, to the lizard people yeah <laughs> but I, I you know one point that he made which i think is valid which is like look even as a sink because i asked him like look you know as a single senator you'd be the only libertarian senator if you miraculously i mean you know if you miraculously won you'd be the only one and his answer was like, well, yeah, but uh, as a senator, you get a lot of power to do things. And like you get you get a there's a platform to speak where people pay attention to you and you can, you know, he, we didn't talk about this issue in particular. But I'm thinking, you know, if there was a Rand Paul type of person talking about Yemen, I don't know if Rand has actually even talked about Yemen. But if there were someone, you know, in the Senate talking about Yemen and making impassioned speeches about this and uh you know, as much as C-SPAN would want to make their sure there's a camera fault, like let's assume that get you know gets recorded and goes on YouTube. I think you're right that it will be hard for some people to say, "Yeah, I'm still going to vote for this thing." I, I think some senators who don't have a direct, uh, you know, they don't have a direct relationship with Raytheon might might be able to say, "Yeah, you know," like I, 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 I really believe that's why there's such a, a strong media blackout on this issue because it is it's so bad like if the american people really understood it i don't th i think that you would see it end very rapidly because the politicians would realize that it's the end of their careers and that's ultimately all they care about that and the accumulation yep. of money and uh, you know the the board seat on raytheon when they get out of office i mean that's really <laughs> what they care about but uh beyond that they also do care about re-election and and i think that it would i mean it's just it just wouldn't be popular i, I don't think they even poll the american people on this stuff because they don't even know about it. If you were to ask, I think 98% of people have no idea that this is even happening. Right. Yeah. Right. And, the, and, the and everyone knows that Ukraine's happening. Yeah, exactly. And, and why do they know it? Because they want us to be involved and they want to infuriate the American people to the point that they're willing to support 
you know, military conflict with Russia. I, I personally believe that's also why they lied about the uh, the election interference, the Russian uh, Trump collusion nonsense uh, is because they were this was all in the works for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, any final comments before we wrap up today's show? It's been a pleasure to speaking with both of you. David, do you have anything for the audience that you I mean, Yemen seems to be very impassioned about Yemen. Is there a final message you want to leave people? Uh, I mean, support the Quakers, man. Make sure teach people about this, because you know what? As soon as you mention Yemen, they'll ask you, what are you talking about? We're involved in Yemen, and it's a very easy conflict to explain. It's not complex where you have to go and, well, oh, well, Iraq, and then we empowered Iran, and then there was, like, Shiite militias, and there's... You don't have to explain any of this complex stuff. All you have to do is talk about how we are how we are abetting, aiding and abetting a genocide in Yemen. That is what we are doing, plain and simple. And these people didn't do anything to us at all. Instead, in fact, we're help we're helping people who did actually did things to us, you know, like Al Qaeda. But Ye- Yemen is the is might be the most important thing in the world, and we need to be fighting to make sure that this ends. Because if there's one thing that you can stop, try to help to try to stop right now, it's mass murders abroad. That is something that we should be unilaterally opposed to as a people, no matter our political ideology. The worst thing the state does is committing these mass murder missions abroad. And you know what? If we have the chance to put pressure on politicians to actually make it stop, why not? Why not do that? Do everything you can. Let people know that Yemen can't wait. We have to actually make that stop. Well said. And I, and we can relate it even to counter-economics. If you want to, you want to get rid of you want to get rid of the stuff the government's doing, the, the evil stuff the government's doing, stop funding them. Stop using the dollar. Get out of the dollar if you can. Um, because, you know, without us using the dollar, they can't do this. Uh, Clint, any final comments? <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, I think that that David's probably right that that's the most, uh, you know, egregious form of, you know, military intervention and aggression uh, on the planet right now. But I think that it, I would still redirect people in terms of the, you know, the egregious nature of central banking and, and ESG. If you can educate people on that, I did an episode uh, called go, uh, go woke or, or go broke. A lot of people think it's go woke, go broke. It's actually go right. woke or go broke. Like they are, right. they are dictating that you must go woke or you will go broke. Uh, and if you want to check that episode out, uh, share it around with people. I think that that'll wake a lot of people up. It's just like 40 minutes. You can put it on 1.5 speed. It'll take you less than a half an hour. It really gives you the background, the history, what it what it amounts to. Uh, I really think that that is that is the the biggest fight, at least when it comes to economics on the planet. And ultimately, economics leads to the what the military is capable of. So, if we're able to win that fight, you can probably win a lot of these conflicts that are are you know starving and murdering uh, innocent people across the globe too. So. Uh, you know, f- fix the money, fix the world, as the Bitcoin people say. Uh, you you have to stop ESG if you want to fix uh, the world too. So it, it's all it's all part of the same picture, and uh, I think that it's it's really really important because just as just as few people know about Yemen, same issue with ESG. And I'm I'm grateful that I get to be on the the cutting edge of trying to wake people up to the nefarious nature of what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. David, how do people find you? 
Uh, for me, really, all I care about is Twitter. I know I, I've got a Twitter account I'm pretty proud of. Uh, Real David B. Jr. Jr. and just J.R., not like the full word spelled out. But you can find me there on Twitter, on YouTube and Odyssey. I got my show where I kind of talk about this stuff on my on my own, Road to Providence. On the, it's on YouTube and Odyssey. Odyssey, if you want to support on a censors, on a less censorship-heavy platform that does not hate you and in in your values. That's where you can find me, though. Cool. Uh, How can people find you? Yeah, at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter. If you want to check out my show, it is called Liberty Lockdown. You can search that on any podcatcher and find it, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all over the place. And if you want to watch me on Odyssey uh, for the unedited versions, you can go go there, uh, search Liberty Lockdown or YouTube. I'm still over there. Only about 80% of my episodes get put up over there because uh, sometimes I talk too honestly about how insane this world is and YouTube doesn't like that. Uh, but regardless, uh, subscribe wherever you can find Liberty Lockdown. And uh, thank you so much for having me on, Carter. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak to your audience. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Uh, thank you both for coming. And uh, I'll try and go to more libertarian events so I can hang out with, with cool people. And, and uh, <laughs> look, like I said earlier, the Mises Caucus is the thing that, that gives me hope. So uh, I can... I see. I know that Clint's involved, and I can see that David's got a Mises sweatshirt on. So we're all cool. Thanks both to you. (laughs) Absolutely, brother. All right. Take care, everyone. Uh, Thanks for watching. uh, Interview with Scott, not Scott Horton. That was last week. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman is uh, comes up on this Friday. You'll see that. And uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, do all those things. Go to unsafebase.com, where we never censor ourselves. And uh, see you next time. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production does not meet WHO health and safety standards. Please report to our United Nations Sanitization Center immediately. Association with the following individuals is strictly prohibited. Experts who benefit from printing money agree that printing money does not cause price inflation. Trust me, just two more weeks to slow the spread of monkeypox. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately.
there will be cake.